The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
It is our old English will or desire for you to come here. It may not feel like a welcome for those that are not present, neither for those that are. I'm looking out at about 85 singers who did come, who got up extra early on a cold and uninviting December morning dressing in YouTube concert-friendly black, a number carpooling from far away to check in here by 9 a.m. And after collectively spending thousands of hours over a span of up to three months preparing today's music, there were also trips to CVS, Walgreens, a Walmart maybe even, to purchase and administer antigen tests, as everyone here today did adding time after arriving earlier this morning to see if we should even be here for our one and only rehearsal altogether. 
So a most sincere big music welcome to our singers. This is the first in-person appearance or performance of the Berkeley Alumni Chorus since either your January 2020 trip to New Zealand or an appearance later that month with the Chieftains or possibly the Mass Up, our mashup of mass movements, the last big music we did here in November of 2019. Welcome back into the sanctuary to our own UU choir. We've been singing live from the basement here every week since early September. And aside from a daring couple of services in early July, do you remember that? <laughs> um, we have not performed anything like what we are doing today since that mass up of 19. <laughs> to all of you at home and to our religious education parents and others listening from Thomas Star King Room here on Franklin Avenue, a big music welcome to you, particularly if you were looking forward to a seat in these pews today. This Sunday, your absence is allowing our presence to share these intricately wrapped Walt Whitman gifts with you. Today we have a service of Whitman's words, spoken and set to music, also music that inspired him and a reflection about his life and art. It is our hope that his words find a nice place on your ear and you find beauty and inspiration from them and in our singing of them. I will forever be grateful for your allowing us to overtake this adored sanctuary space for some desperately needed, earnest, full-throated singing. For those at home, please download the order of service and follow along. Thanks to Vanessa, our health experts, and other staff and our beloved tech crew, and everyone for making this Sunday possible. Welcome. Yes, it's wonderful to have you all here. Let's start our, continue our deep dive into the inspirations of and creations of and those inspired by Walt Whitman by reading the first of two responsive readings that we'll read this morning. It's in your order of service. I'll read the plain type and invite you to respond with the bold. The sum of all known reverence I add up in you, whoever you are. All architecture is what you do to it when you look upon it. The sun and stars that float in the open air, the apple-shaped earth, and we upon it. The wonder everyone sees in everyone else they see, and the wonders that fill each minute of time forever. It is for you, whatever you are. It is no harder for you than for you. And the life for you. It is painted by 
we consider Bibles and religion divine, I do not say they are not divine. I say they have all grown out of you and may grow out of you still. Will you seek afar off? You surely come back at last in things best known to you, finding the best or as good as the best. And so seizing such happiness, let's sing together our opening hymn, 356, Will You Seek? in far off places. Will you seek in far off places? Surely you come home at last in familiar forms and faces. Things best known you find the best. Joy and peace are in this hour, here not in another place, here in this beloved flower, now in this beloved face. Will you seek in far off places? We light our blue candle as we have every Sunday since the lockdown. And in so doing, we bring into the space not just those who now are beautifully here again in body, but all those wherever you find yourself that your spirit is brought into this space and we 
are together in that way until we can be together in body again, all of us. We acknowledge, as we're lighting candles, the menorah, which tonight will be lit for the eighth night of Hanukkah. And in celebration of the richness of Judaism and its teachings and the ways in which it has fed and served and been served by lives past, present, and future, but maybe in this time especially a reminder of the Maccabees and the temple, people who saved something they cherished, doing so against impossible odds. A good reminder of the miracle we all need to know is there to be claimed in the world when the time comes that we be called to claim it. And finally, we light our chalice, symbol of Unitarian Universalism. And as we do so, we say the words that are printed in your order of service, which I invite those of you who'd like to to say with me. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of Welcome. If this is your first time watching or here, thanks for joining us. You can follow along in the order of service, which is available in the description of this video and is emailed to everyone who receives our newsletter, which you can get by signing up through a link to our connection form that is in the order of service and video description. The order of service also lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect, including our Zoom coffee hour, which takes place after the service. Next week, the doors will be open again to all our visitor, visitors and friends who are, I'm sorry, I got cut off there. Um, we want to remind folks to look over all the offerings of upcoming speakers, chances to engage more deeply in philosophical questions, social justice witness, or acts of service, and to remind folks that December is the time to sign up for the small groups that will be starting afresh in January, that's small group ministry. These groups of six to 10 meet once or twice a month for about 90 minutes with a quick check-in and then a reading and topical questions. They are a way to build in structure for the work of living a reflective, connected life. See the sign-up sign information in the order of service or on the website and feel free to ask questions. Which reminds me, our new website went live last week. If you have photos you think are better than the ones we're using for a page, or some updated content, please send it to info at uus.f.org and we will be in touch. Our offering last week raised almost $500 for Tenderloin Tessie's Meals program. Thank you all for that generosity. This week, our offering will be taken to benefit the Big Music Sunday program. Folks can make a donation on Vanco or using the donate button on our website please select the special offering choice to make your gift. Or if you are sending a check, please mark in the memo, Big Music Sunday, 12-5-21. Thank you in advance for your generosity. That's all for our special invitations today. Please join me now as we say our covenant and sing our doxology. The words of the covenant are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, seek truth and freedom, and to help one another.
In the spirit of Walt Whitman, I invite us into a time of meditation and prayer, speaking to the you, the ambiguous you that he speaks to. If a person, each person has a novel in them and a song, pray you, let me hear the refrains of my song. Let the beat of it call my feet to drum it out my ear. Lead the way the eye does. My body surrendering to expression and my voice open, full-throated, offering its aria of me, of this, of us on this stage of street and cable car. If each time needs a poet to hold up the mirror that we may see you in the reflection and see the truth of this moment and of the moments to come, Let me, let us be granted the spirit of the poet and grab what quill we can to capture in metaphor and adjective in a net of words, the vibrant concreteness of what is as it is and will be and let it draw us, command us into action or creation. You who are us, who is all, who is nature and soul universal, help us to know the refrains of our life's song and give us the soul and mind and words of the poet to see and name the world as it is and shall be. And then the spirit to sing it out and serve it. What moves us, what moves in us, being given voice. For these and all the other prayers of our hearts, we pray this morning. Amen.
There was a child went forth every day, and the first object he looked upon and received with wonder or pity or love or dread, that object he became. And that object became part of him for the day or a certain part of the day, or for many years or stretching cycles of years. The early lilacs became part of this child, and grass, and white and red morning glories, and white and red clover, and the song of the Phoebe bird, and the March-born lambs, and the sow's pink faint litter, and the mare's foal, and the cow's calf, and the noisy brood of the barnyard or by the mire of the pond side, and the fish suspending themselves so curiously below there, and the beautiful curious liquid, and the water plants with their graceful flat heads all became part of him. And the field sprouts of April and May became part of him, winter grain sprouts and those of the light yellow corn and of the esculent roots of the garden and the apple trees covered with blossoms and the fruit afterward and wood berries and the commonest weeds by the road and the old drunkard staggering home from the outhouse of the tavern whence he had lately risen and the schoolmistress that passed on her way to the school and the friendly boys that passed, and the quarrelsome boys, and the tidy and fresh-cheeked girls, and the barefoot black boy and girl, and all the changes of city and country wherever he went. His own parents, he that had propelled the father's stuff at night and fathered him, and she that conceived him in her womb and birthed him, they gave this child more of themselves than that. They gave him afterward every day they and of them became part of him. The mother at home, quietly placing the dishes on the supper table, the mother with mild words, clean her cap and gown, a wholesome odor falling off her person and clothes as she walks by. The father, strong, self-sufficient, manly, mean, angered, unjust, the blow, the quick loud word, the tight bargain, the crafty lure, the family usages, the language, the company, the furniture, the yearning and swelling heart, affection that will not be gainsaid, the sense of what is real, the thought if, after all, it should prove unreal, the doubts of daytime and the doubts of nighttime, the curious whether and how, whether that which appears so is so, or is it all flashes and specks? Men and women crowding fast in the streets. If they are not flashes and specks, what are they? The streets themselves and the facades of houses, the goods in the windows, vehicles, teams, the tiered wharves and the huge crossing at the ferries, the village and the highlands seen from afar at sunset, the river between, shadows, aureola and mist, light falling on roofs and gables of white or brown three miles off, the schooner nearby sleepily dropping down the tide, the little boat slack-toed astern, the hurrying, tumbling waves and quick broken crests and slapping, the strata of colored clouds, the long bar of maroon tint away solitary by itself, the spread of purity it lies motionless in, the horizon's edge, the flying sea crow, the fragrance of salt marsh and shore mud. These became part of that child who went forth every day. 
and who now goes and will always go forth every day. And these become of him or her that peruses them now. I've never had a choir behind me when I preached. I feel like I should have planned to use you all better during the actual reflection. 
The first church that I served as a called minister was in Washington, D.C. It was the Universalist National Memorial Church, the Cathedral of Universalism before the two denominations merged. And the older members, they would talk about some of the greatest history, like they would introduce me when I first arrived to Eleanor Webb, who was a woman in her 80s by then, and the last person alive who'd been in one of Clara Barton's Sunday school classes. Clara Barton having been a universalist and a member of that Washington church. And then they would say, sometimes talking about, about the same era, that it was a rumor that Walt Whitman would periodically attend the church. Later I would hear that actually it was a rumor and maybe true that Walt Whitman liked to attend all the churches, or many of them at least, in Washington, D.C., he was a Quaker by background, but as you know, if you've read him, he's someone who spoke and wrote about the mystical and the transcendent experiences of a God, if you call it that, if he would have called it that, this force that was in all creation and even in our own human bodies, in their fullness, in all of us, in all. Some would call him a humanist, I actually just think he was beyond categories. He certainly broke up categories, broke them wide open. His formal education was over by the age of 11, which I find remarkable. But his informal education in the books he found in libraries and the news and opinion pieces and art he discovered while working as a printer, and as an editor and a writer for newspapers and periodicals, all of that, I guess, was part of his graduate school education in art and life and the letters. One of his early transformative relationships, something that transformed his own relationship to mind and body and soul, was the novel Consuelo by George Sand. Sand, the nom de plume of Amandine Lucille Aurore Dupin, 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 excuse me, Baroness Dudevant, was a, a popular and a shocking novel in the themes and the choices that were made about what to depict, but also. George Sand was provocative in her own life and the freedoms and gusto she expressed in everything, her own sexual and gender expression, the choices that she made that were themselves category busting. And at 23, Whitman, reading this novel by Sand, thought it a masterpiece. And it deeply shaped his, shaped his view of nature, and freedom, the quality of women and men in their lives and relationships to each other, sexuality and bodies and spirituality, all would be these themes in Whitman that he would take up, and the permission and invitation that he felt to break genres and mores wide open. It bears mentioning that Whitman wasn't entirely beyond his times. Although he opposed, for instance, the expansion of slavery into the Western territories, he was not completely aligned with the abolitionists. 
and he didn't see beyond all the false narratives around race, in fact, in some ways perpetuating some of them in some of his writing and thinking. So his category-shattering mind had its limits. Having said that, there are so many angles to his life and his work. The project that he had to try and capture a distinctly American voice. The connection that he had to the transcendentalists at the time. I don't know if you know, but Leaves of Grass had eight different publications and versions with different editions and edits throughout those different editions. And the first edition met with some lukewarm and maybe affronted or, um, well, uh, surprised reception. And it was self-published, and it was Ralph Waldo Emerson's enthusiastic reception of it that some credit for it actually getting off the ground as something that got a hearing in public the way it did. Whitman's personal life is something that lots of people have spent lots of time writing and thinking about, debating about. His freestyle verse that he championed. But for today, it seems like the place to ground ourselves is in music. Whitman had no formal training in music, and yet, as you all know, the theme and metaphor and language of music resounds in his work. Seeking all that was particularly American as he did, Whitman wanted America to have its own form of music. He listened to all kinds of music and championed them, and early on was really drawn to simple, melodic music and folk music and musical groups and promoted that. And maybe not surprisingly, as a result, when he first heard opera, he rejected it as something not just foreign but contrived. As part of his journalism career, he actually wrote a lot about music and wrote reviews. Robert Strasberg writes of Whitman that Whitman complained about, quote, and this is Whitman's in a review, the trills, the agonized squalls, the lackadaisical drawlings, which isn't even a word, the sharp, ear-piercing shrieks, the gurgling death rattles. <laughs> which is to say, he was slow to appreciate grand opera. But when he did, he became passionately fond of it, writes Strasberg. He was to maintain, Strasberg says later in life, that the dramatic overtures, the passionate arias, the eloquent, sobbing recitatives were among the shaping forces of his freestyle form of poetry. One of Whitman's final reviews, in fact, is an encomium to opera, as it turns out. He states, quote, you listen to the music and the songs and the choruses, and a new world, a liquid world, rushes like a torrent through you. Whitman called music a divine art. Later, he would say that he had to translate the music that he loved into poetry that he wrote. It was that much a part of the inspiration of what and how he wrote. And then others would find that Whitman's poetry, poetry, when they read it, begged to be set to music. 
Vaughn Williams' second wife, Ursula Vaughn Williams, would say that from 1902 or 1903, Leaves of Grass was her husband's constant companion. Those words and setting them to music, literally making them sing, would inspire Vaughn Williams to write when other larger projects, particularly his Sea Symphony, or Symphony No. 1 as it's also called, had ground to a creative halt. And so it seems there is this delightful lineage that runs with and through Walt Whitman. There is the groundbreaking risk and permission to write and live one's full self into being that he finds in the works of George Sand. And the torrent that opera and other music released inside him. There is how all of it gives rise to groundbreaking themes and forms in his own conception of poetry and its purpose. And then, there is how this poetry swept up other minds and hearts into that same torrent of challenge and permission and creativity unleashed in the ways that we've already heard and the ways that we will hear. So many courageous invitations that were given and accepted that took people into unknown regions to break the sound barriers, if you will, of how and what we speak of in this life. And Whitman's extraordinary place in it all.
you all deserved roaring applause for that, but I'm the only audience member, so woo! <laughs> oh my gosh, that was magnificent. Thank you all. Thank you to the Berkeley Alumni Choir, and thank you so much also to the UUSF Choir for all of your rehearsals and bringing your gorgeous voices. We have so missed song in this time. So thank you, and thank you to Mark Sumner, who we share, because there's enough of him to go around, because he is so grand and fabulous. Thank you for your vision for this morning. Thank you for your persistence. This is extraordinary. Walt Whitman called out to all of us, and he called out to us in his work to be fully embodied, to be mind and spirit, to be sexuality and creativity, to be nature and city, to be passionate, attentive, and present. Because I think in all of it, he saw this magnificence, all possibility and beauty. He saw delight in everything. He saw life as this adventure. And to be in it, to find wisdom, to align ourselves with the best, to connect to that and the best in us, it seemed, required this focus to the world as it presented itself at all times and moments, and this surrender to all that is, and to the parts of ourselves that we might be tempted to leave outside the embrace. Passion, I think he thought, would not lead you and I astray, but in fact, Passion would lead us to soul and to a life in collaboration with soul. In words that Whitman wrote that are very close to advice that Emerson actually wrote on success, which we often read, he shares advice for living that I think is fitting for closing the service about how to live and how to live well. He writes the following. This is what you shall do. Love the earth and sun and the animals. Despise riches. Give alms to everyone that asks. Stand up for those who are called stupid and crazy. Devote your income and your labors to them. Hate tyrants. Argue not concerning God. Have patience and indulgence toward the people. Take your hat off to nothing known or unknown or to any person or number of them. 
go freely with powerful, uneducated persons and with the young and with the mothers or families. Re-examine all that you have been told in school or church or in any book and dismiss whatever insults your own soul and your very flesh shall become a great poem and have the richest fluency not only in its words but in the silent lines of its lips and face and between the lashes of your eyes and in every motion and joint of your body. So I invite us to go forward with these words and with the words of the responsive reading, which is printed in the order of service. Words also calling us into this adventure of life together. I'll read the regular print and invite you to read the responsive part from Song of the Open Road. Afoot and lighthearted, I take to the open road, healthy, free, the world before me. I inhale great drafts of space, the east and the west are mine, and the north and the south are mine. Whoever you are, come, travel with me. However sweet these laid-up stores, however convenient this dwelling, we cannot remain here. Together, the inducements shall be greater. We will sail pathless and wild seas. We will go where winds blow, waves dash, and the Yankee clipper speeds by under full sail. To see nothing anywhere but what you may reach it and pass it, to look up or down, no roads, but it stretches and waits for you.
Yes, sir.